Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 141 of At Odds with Wrestling. Joe and Adam here. Adam, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I have some sort of, like, itch. I have some sort of allergic reaction to something. I don't know what it is, but my left wrist has been itchy for, like, the last two days. I don't know what's going on. That's very odd, because you're, like, a peak specimen. Like, there's usually never anything wrong with you. Right, I am the peak of male physicality. <laughs> um, built like every wrestler from the 60s and 70s, with slightly yeah. more body hair and less cotton pa- cotton panties that they would wrestle in. <laughs> Your eyes are less glazed over, though. Right, there you go. I've got a very Jerry Blackwell-esque physique there. <laughs> For the ladies at home, but uh, how was your week? How's everything going? How's things? All right, cleaning up around the house. I've been, uh, I, I obviously I've been de- detailing my my cleaning of my garage, but I'm trying to trying to just make sense of stuff. I'm getting only like where you've been spending so much time in your house over the past like year that you're just sick of looking at everything, so you wanted to like rearrange it, and I'm at that point. Yeah, I'm, thinking- I'm not. You know, I'm not there yet because, like, the only real thing that I have of any sort of, like, personal belongings are comic books, you know? Mm. And I do just have, like, three random piles of comic books um, that are just, like, laying around here. Like, one is the immediate-to-be-read pile, the other is the eventually-read pile, and then the other one is the bring-downstairs-into-the-keep-collection pile, right? Uh Uh-huh. And I have time off this weekend that I'm probably, well, I have limited time off this weekend, and I at least want to attempt to read some of the stuff and then move some of the other stuff down to the keep pile. Yeah, I'm somewhat the same way. I have, like, a pile in my dining room of books that I need to read, and it's at least a year's worth of Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know. I keep buying it. I don't know why. I haven't read it in forever. But, go ahead. I, I was gonna say I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I'm I'm an Amazing Spider-Man f- fan. I wouldn't say I'm a year behind, but I'm like ten months behind, maybe. Yeah. The, the problem is, is that it comes out like three times a month. <laughs> and doing the comic book podcast, the stuff that Todd and I cross over on gets read first, and Todd don't read No Amazing Spider-Man, so that gets pushed to the wayside. Yeah. And another thing that, like, speaking of comic books, like, the room that I'm recording from right now, like, I I probably showed you just once or twice when I had the webcam on, you know, this is the room that I have my comics in. So, like, the entire one side of the room, probably about to collapse the floor, is, like, 30 long boxes. Uh And I I really wish I didn't have those comics because I want to take the Detolfs that are in my dining room, like a sociopath, and like put them in here so that like in the off chance that at some point before I die, a woman actually walks into my house, the first thing she doesn't see is fucking broski figures in a Detolf in my dining room, you know? So uh, I'd love to like take those toys and like hide them here in the podcasting studio. But then it's like, what do I do with 30 plus years of comic books that like you can't give away, you know, the majority of them, you know? Uh, so, you know, let me come over and look and I could tell you what to do with some of them, you know? Yeah, no, I I know there, there's some stuff that's valuable. There's some stuff that's quarter bin material. What I need is Kevin Hellions to just come and just take all of it. I'll give him a bundle deal. (laughs) (laughs) Bring a U-Haul. 
Well, I was I was gonna say, you know, not to cross. We've already cross promoted enough, but you know, we did the Patreon show for Longbox, uh, where we talked about Ed Wood, the Ed Wood movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how there's a scene in there that was kind of like an inspiration for a young me, uh, in my late teens, early twenty years, where I'm just like, I need to be as upfront. With all of my whatevers, right? Whether it be quirks or whether it be like hobbies or interests or so on and so forth. Um, so that if things go well with the woman that I'm on a date with and it turns into another date and more dates and so on and so forth. And then like on the fourth or fifth date, she comes home and then she sees the detail of the Brodsky figures <laughs> and he heads for the hills, right? <laughs> Yeah, I would I would let her know of that detolf of Broski figures on date one. Yeah, but maybe and just I, the fact that they're they're in my podcast studio and not uh, next to my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think the fact that you have a podcast studio is another you know asterisk on your life. Uh, a, a big plus. I mean, who? Not many people have podcasts, Joe. They don't just give these out to anybody. They don't. <laughs> No, there's there's a rigorous screening process. Plus, there's all those fees and forms you had me fill out. (laughs) Oh, that's that's for another day. (laughs) So listen, uh, Adam's dream has come true. Uh, We do have a a somewhat collapsible segment this week. And that is uh, for this day in wrestling history. So... Things happened this day in wrestling history, but not notable or we're not knowledgeable enough to talk about. Like, on this day in wrestling history in 1991, televised, uh, Steve Austin defeated beautiful Bobby Eaton for the WCW television title. Yay. Okay, it's the first first singles title that Steve Austin ever won. Notable for that, right, you know? Mm. It was very early into his WCW run. Like, I think they did it, like, in second set of TV tapings, right? Okay. Um, so then, also on this day in 1994, there was this big match that happened in All Japan Wrestling of Misawa versus Kawada. Oh, I'm very, very familiar. You know me. Right. That apparently is a big deal. I've never seen the match before. And, like, I know it's in its entirety on YouTube. I've just never seen it. So we're not going to talk about it. Mm. I would go into depth on it, but I'll save that for another show. You know, I'll save yeah, that for and, Patreon. And, and listen, you could all come to me and say, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen that match. That's just the tip of the iceberg of stuff that I haven't seen from Japanese wrestling. It was just, you know, I didn't get really into Japanese wrestling until like almost like 1996 and 1997. And it was like, I know who Great Mood is because he was on TV. I know who Hayabusa is because I saw this real cool video of him like, doing all this crazy shit and, like, deathmatch stuff. And then, like, you know, then the Attitude Era happened. (laughs) It all got swept under the rug. Yeah, you know? I know who... Let's get into what we liked and didn't like from the last seven days of professional wrestling, Adam. Well, before we do that, I just want to say I know who Hayabusa is because he lost to Eddie Kingston in last year's Gender Neutral Monarch Tournament. That's right. I knew yep. I knew you had a touchstone <laughs> for him. Yes. And also, this day in history, minus one, as in yesterday, I just want to say you were on the A-show again for the Tournament of Champions. Well, I recorded yesterday. The episode That's doesn't true. come out until this upcoming Monday. Thank you. I know. I just wanted to say, uh, how do you think you did? 
well, uh, you know, it was a reverse AEW draft. I took on George Gatton, who you would know from his time in CCW, mm-hmm. where uh, I drafted a roster for him. He drafted a roster for me. And uh, we would then make the best cards that we could. The goal was to make as you know bad of a draft uh, as you can. And I'll give you some spoilers, okay? Okay. So just to keep things like fair, just so that I'm not like, well, I'm going to draft you one guy. You're out of luck, right? Um, we kind of, you know, we're like, eh, how many people should it be? And we evened it out at 16, right? Sure. So Adam, I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, any number than seven because the seven is the wild card where you could pick anyone from any time you know currently in professional wrestling, right? Mm. Um, so pick a number from one to sixteen, less seven, and I'll tell you who I drafted for George and who George drafted for me, just as a tease. All right, uh, round round five, round three, you said. Sure, three. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Round three. Uh, So I drafted for George, Kip Sabian, and George (laughs) drafted for me, Tay Conti. (laughs) Well, your show obviously wins. Yours has Tay Conti. And first of all, how dare he? How dare he assign you the face of women's wrestling? The face? The face of women's wrestling with the implication being that she's bad. Like, not stop. super bad like Kip Sabian. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that's a tease to give you the mindsets of uh, how I went into my draft for him and how he went into his draft for me. Oh, well, now we know you won. So there's there's that drama out of the way, because any show with Tay Conti on it is like a show with Kevin Nash. It's automatically better. Um, but I do have to ask you this question. It's a very important question, because this is going to determine whether or not I listen to that episode and every episode going forward. Was the wild card round the seventh pick? Was it renamed the Adam Van round? No, but you were mentioned of being the ultimate wild card that's been on the show. <sighs> See, I don't know if that's good enough. That that, that the seventh pick is the Adam Van pick. Uh, I'm going to have to have a talk with the two of them. We'll see. Well, but, I'll, uh, say, I'll say this, Adam. When you listen to the show this Monday and you see who is picked mm. for the wild card for both, I don't think you would want your name associated <laughs> with either one of these people. So <laughs> wait till you listen on Monday, and then let's revisit this next week to see if you want your name associated with people whose names could come up as possible wild cards. But it drops Monday at 9. Uh, check it out, uh, and I'll I'll push voting for me. But I always say, listen to the show, honest opinion, you know, whoever you think has the best card. But then I also say, vote for me. So Yeah, I was going to say, jo- Joe is sometimes too, too humble of a man to shill for votes, but I'll say vote early and often for Joe. There you go. So now, uh, yes. let's get into our likes and dislikes. All right. I'm going to start off with a like. This is a quick one. It's pretty broad and a, like a wide net that I'm casting out, as I often do. But I'm going to say, and Joe, you might sense a theme from my likes and dislikes this week, that it might all be gleamed from one four-hour block of programming. But uh, 
My first like is just the experience of watching a wrestling show again in front of a capacity crowd. Now, say what you will. Are we too soon? Is things being done safe or not? Whatever. I just want to say from a, a, a television experience and like uh, just a kind of a return to normalcy, watching the AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view in front of the live crowd, uh, whether it be you know Jungle Boy sing along to his theme music and the, the pop from him winning, the pop from Britt Baker winning her title, uh, Orange Cassidy tearing the roof off of Daly's place, you know, coming out. Just all of that stuff all together, just seeing a pay-per-view or any wrestling show. Like, I, I've been watching little clips here and there of, like, Elevation and Dark just to see, like, the fan reaction. It's been a long time. It's strange. It's it's somewhat familiar. And, and again, whether or not this should be what we're doing right now, I don't know. But I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, you know, so uh, obviously you, as mentioned, casting a much wider net than what I would be doing. Because um, I got likes, I got dislikes, I could kind of narrow some things down. Um, I only wanted to have like one moment from the pay-per-view be on the list <laughs> if there was a like and one if there was a dislike. And if I had to single out one moment uh, from the from the uh, pay-per-view, double or nothing AEW this past weekend, uh, it would have to be the sustained reaction for Eddie Kingston. Um, yeah. And not to say that, like, he's in there against the Young Bucks, who, you know, have done a very good job in getting their heel characters over. Uh, they've already been heels to me. Uh, John Moxley is John Moxley, you know, the you know, the longest reigning champion that they've had so far. Um, and in professional wrestling, and again, especially in front of live crowds, and, you know, you could try to look at this in so many different ways to quantify this. It's like, was it the first match in front of a live crowd? No, there was a match before it. Um, you know, whatever it was. And in professional wrestling, when there's a character... Usually you have, like, your ebbs and flows of reaction. The crowd comes up, then the crowd comes down. Crowd comes up, crowd comes down, and it's like a wave, right? Yeah. But for Eddie, it felt as though the crowd was just up the entire time for him. There was a sustained chant of his name for, like, a good majority of the match. Every time that he had the hot tag, the crowd, like, went from this sustained like roar to like this bigger roar and to see him get this sort of reaction on paper on international pay-per-view in front of the first live crowd in almost a year and a half it was amazing and, and it made me so proud of eddie um and it made me so proud of all the guys and girls that competed on the show this weekend, but like I said, that's my one point, that's my one takeaway, that you want to say that's for the whole pay-per-view, that's for the whole pay-per-view, you want to say it was because Eddie was like, maybe outside of Britt Baker, the most over person on the entire show, either way, um, yeah, I'm sure you got more to get, get into regarding the pay-per-view. Oh, maybe, I might have a couple, of, by my math, three more things. <laughs> so that ahead. was my like, that was a like. Oh, that was one of your likes? Okay, well, you know what? That pours directly into my first dislike. And speaking of Eddie Kingston, it's the fact that your boys, the Bucks, defeated Kingston and Mox pretty much cleanish 
uh, to retain the tag team titles. Uh, obviously, Kingston and Mox are, have been presented as these, these world beaters. Eddie Kingston, or I'm sorry, Moxley has been presented by AEW as the number one, if not number one A behind Kenny Omega, wrestler in the entire company. You have the hot crowd, as you mentioned, strongly behind Eddie Kingston. And just the fact that, like, as they said on Viewer's Choice this week, you could have very easily, you know, given the the crowd what they wanted. You know, this is the first live crowd watching wrestling. You know, give them the title change. Put the belt on Kingston and the Mox, even if you're just going to take it back the following week, whenever it is that, I don't know, Saturday at noon, whenever the next uh, Dynamite is. Uh, but, yeah, it was just really shocked that the Bucks retained there, especially, like, I get, that you are presenting the bucks in a new angle. They're, they're these new rich heels, you know, that like are in the elites with, uh, with Kenny Omega, but Omega's the guy who needs the belts, you know, uh, the bucks don't. So it, it would have done nothing to have them, uh, Kingston and Mox win there. So I was very surprised when I was watching this, that that didn't happen. So that's my first dislike. Uh, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. I think you're okay. Um, I'm not that upset about it. Um, I guess I'm a bigger Eddie Kingston fan. I don't know. What do you want? uh, (laughs) Listen, in my heart of hearts, would it have been awesome if Eddie and Moxley won the titles? Yes. Were Marcus and I fantasy booking it in the DMs during the match? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, however... It, it is what it is. I, I didn't think any titles were really changing hands. I think we discussed it on the show last week, uh, other than the women's title, which is exactly what happened. But that's okay if wrestling is predictable, because I think with... I don't think that storyline's over, right? I don't think Eddie and Kingston are going to move on to something else. I think their deal with the Bucks is done. I know you said that they beat them more or less clean, um, but you know, they didn't get their sneakers back. So I don't know. There's still more to be, uh, there's more meat on that bone, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. We, we need to figure out if the bucks are ever going to dig those sneakers out of their half inch deep graves. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'll go with a dislike here. No. And this might be a dislike for you as well. Uh, and this was on Wednesday. The World Wrestling Entertainment announced the releases of uh, Aleister Black, Lana, Buddy Murphy, Santana Garrett, Bronny Strowman, and Ruby Riot. Uh, apparently, this came out through, and everyone says it was a text message, but if you listen to uh, the Hawkins and Broski show, not only do you get Zombie Sailor reveals spoiled for you three days in advance, <laughs> because Broski doesn't realize that like they record it on a Monday and it goes on on Tuesday and then Zombie usually tries to get his things done on a Friday. Anyway, um there's like a there's like an app, like a, a talent app that everyone has and they like get messages through that and that's how they these people that got released found out and that's how everyone else found out. Um and the reason given was budget cuts. Now We are not at the point for the discourse of where there's smoke, there's fire, that with all these releases that are happening, that they're attempting to make the company look more attractive to be sold. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not even a financial panther to delve deep into that. There's many more people who are much smarter than me that are analyzing this. Uh, I will just say that, you know, it kind of stinks that WWE is still releasing people. 
Um, you know, they don't have that overhead of touring. I know they're getting ready to go back out of the road here in a month and a half. Um, there was more rumors swirling that there's going to be more cuts announced uh, next week. And this is just after last week where they got rid of like practically all of their web and video producing and movie division. They are just cutting people willy nilly. And like these are people like Braun Strowman was just on the most recent pay-per-view. Alistair Black was just involved in a major angle on TV uh, a week ago. Lana, same thing. Buddy Murphy, sadly, you know, whatever. Santana Garrett, I forgot that she was on the roster. Um, but, you know, Ruby Riot's the one that stinks the most. I, I, I know her, and she's really good. And, you know, she got as fair as a shake, I think, as she was going to get in WWE. And the positive uh, positivity pouring out for her and toward her and what a nice person is. It's good to see someone like her be in that same group um, of people that you'll just never see anyone say a bad word about. And she's mm-hmm. someone who is a nice person from her first day in the business. And she'll be a nice person from her last day in the business. Um, so I'm hoping she shows up somewhere bunch of cool places i hope she gets to like check a bunch of a bunch of things off her bucket list that she maybe didn't get a chance to do before she got signed and yeah it still stinks that people are getting released you know pandemic's not over and uh you're making a lot of money as a company so when you say budget cup cuts you might be being facetious uh but like i said there's much more smarter people than me that are analyzing this and saying maybe uh WWE is, uh, you know, there's an alternative motive here. Yeah. No, obviously, I agree with you. It, it sucks to see people lose their jobs, especially if it's a high-paying one and it's a friend of yours and whatnot. Uh, I'll just speak on behalf of, like, wrestling fans. I, I think that as a fan, if you are a fan of somebody like Ruby Riot or a fan of somebody like Aleister Black, you know, it, it's a good thing to see them leave the WWE. Now, obviously, it's not good you know financially you know they don't have that steady paycheck but i'm just again saying as a fan because you're you didn't get to see what ruby riot can do over the last couple years you know to her full extent you couldn't get to see alistair black or buddy murphy because you know they had the shackles on of having to do stupid wwe stuff and the constraints of the television program so like uh, you know somebody as talented as heidi or or whatever can go somewhere else, hopefully very quickly and, and showcase themselves in a better way. You know, if that makes sense, like when somebody like Heidi shows up on AEW, you know, she's going to have a match 10 times better than what WWE would have allowed her to have in a mixed tag match with like Nia Jax and, you know, Lana or whatever. So it's just, you look at it on the bright side is that, you know, when these people do pop up, the ones deserving of popping back up, you know, uh, <clears throat> Braun Strowman not des- not deserving, but uh, you know when they do pop up, you're going to see a bigger and better version of them. I hope you know. So that's the silver lining I'll look at. Sure, uh, still stinks nonetheless. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I didn't put in my likes or my dislikes just because I knew you'd talk about it. And uh, I've always been a Buddy Murphy fan, so I hope he ends up somewhere. And I hope it's not like NWA because I ain't watching that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, um, all right, Joe. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with the AEW pay-per-view. All right. Uh and I'm gonna go with a like. Again, just a real quick one here. Obviously, this is not a surprise to anybody. I really, 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 really like the OC versus Pac versus Kenny Omega match. 
Uh, I think, as you mentioned before, you knew what was going to happen going into it, but for whatever reason, it didn't bother me on this one. You want to know why? Because for a split second, I thought maybe, maybe Orange Cassidy is going to win this. They did just enough to keep me somebody who thinks he's a smart mark, somebody who thinks he knows what's going to go on. They did just enough to put doubt in my mind with the ref bumps and the title belts being thrown in. Uh, again, I'm not going to break down the match, you know, any spot for spot because I can't do it well anyways, but really enjoyed the match. My favorite match of that whole pay-per-view again, I'm biased and yeah, there's probably better matches, but uh, from a drama standpoint, I really enjoyed that match. Uh, yeah, real good match. Obviously. Um, OC was absolutely the star in that match. And that goes to say a lot when you have Pac, who's an international superstar, Kenny, another international superstar, and also your and multiple other promotions champions. Um, OC, that was uh, the OC coming out party. If there ever was one, if he had any doubters, there's no way you could watch that match and not be silenced. Uh, They worked his goofball comedy spots in into serious spots in the match that made sense. And uh, after tons of cheating and so forth, their world champion barely squeaked by him. Yeah. No, a really good match. Like it, it was actually something that I'm tempted to go back and rewatch, and I never do that. You know, I, I barely, you can barely convince me to watch a wrestling match once, and I want to go back and watch that one again. That's how good For it was. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so I got a like here as well, uh, and that would be the uh, A&E biography this past Sunday about Mick Foley. Oh, all right. Uh, Mick uh, Foley, like I said, on any given day, most days, I would say is maybe my favorite wrestler of all time. Mm. Uh, he had a little bit of a dark period, maybe about 10 years ago or so, where his daughter had to take him aside and say, hey, stop going on radio shows and podcasts with your favorite porn stars. It's not a good <laughs> look. Um, but again, this was a very well done piece. The fact that they had so much access to so many different people and so much footage and we'll maybe get into this a little bit later on when we talk about the ultimate warrior dark side of the ring and we've talked before about the macho man ones and the booker t ones and so on and so forth um as someone who is very familiar with mick foley's entire career um i feel as though in the hour and a half time frame two hour time frame whatever this was they did a very good job with this um they they showed the family they showed the kids like I said, a lot of archival footage, um, the stuff like nothing really was skipped over, I guess, you know, um, yeah. a lot of times you're like, oh, shit, I wish they mentioned this or I wish they mentioned that. And there's a lot. And it's not like I'm going to say like, oh, I never knew this. Right. And mm. there is stuff that they skipped, but it's like such minutiae stuff that only like a super nerd would know. But I would say that of the a bi- biographies that they've shown so far, this has been the best one. Like, I would absolutely watch this one again. Okay. You know what? That I, I have not yet watched the Mick Foley one. And my concern was that in the back of my mind, I was like, well, what is there about Mick Foley that I haven't seen through like a hundred different WWE produced, like, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be a DVD or a special on the network or even just, you know, the 
the stuff that you see on like WWE Raw back when he was, you know, doing his turn from like heel mankind to babyface mankind. So I just had it in the back of my mind that it was like, oh, this is going to be all like a rehash. You know, I was going to get around to watching it, but you know, the fact that you're saying that it it, it feels new is that fair to say? Like even the stuff that uh, you know you knew already, it was presented in a way that was entertaining. Yes. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely check it out. It's on my DVR. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. Cool. All right. Uh, my final dislike. Uh, you know what, Joe? I'm going to go with something else from AEW uh, Double or Nothing. I'm just going to go clean sweep. All right. <laughs> my, my final dislike. And I had I had posed this concern last week during Does Joe Know the Card about whether or not the blow off to the blood feud of the revival and the pinnacle uh, was going to be a comedy match. And uh, we said, we shall see. So my final dislike is Stadium Stampede. Now, you know me, I am willing to deal with silliness more than the next guy. In fact, it's kind of my wheelhouse. But a lot of things about this kind of made me cringe, uh, whether it be the fact that this was the main event in front of well, not really in front of, but uh, during a live pay-per-view with live crowd that you're going to have the majority of the match being maybe pre-taped, but definitely not on the, you know, in front of the crowd, uh, to the douchey rappelling from the scoreboard to, to begin the match, to Sean Spears seemingly shooting a mus- music video in like a room full of chairs, the random bikers that I've never seen before, but I think we're all supposed to know who they are. Uh, the obviously gimmicked breakaway walls uh, there. And just the fact that the match kind of just ended normally, like after all that silliness, they brought it out to the ring in front of the fans to give them a finish. And it was just like a normal finish. Uh, just everything kind of felt weird about it. Like, again, I'm the type of guy who was like, Oh, I love this silly shit. I loved last year's stadium stampede, but this one was just, I don't know, bad. Uh, and the fact that this is the main event of like an otherwise really, really good pay-per-view just kind of left me like, oh, I just spent the last six and a half hours watching this show. Uh, and this is what I'm going to have to finish with, uh, was not, was not an enjoyable ending. Did not enjoy the match. Uh, I'm sure there was good things in there, but none of them are jumping out to me. I know you're a big fan of Tully's, you know, uh, Tully cut t-shirt, but, uh, other than that, yeah, nothing much in this match. It's my final dislike. Uh, kind of flat, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, I think Jericho's I think Jericho's episode of his podcast this week, not the Tuesday one, or not the Wednesday one, but the Friday one, is kind of going to get into like the minutia of it. But just some of the early discussion of they wanted it to be as an action movie. But the problem was when wrestling tries to do like a movie sort of experience many times, and we're not talking about the cinematic sort of matches. But when they do this, where the, like, there's the cuts and they're going back and forth between things, it ends up looking like a low-budget action movie. Yeah. And a poorly done one at that. Um, I didn't like... like I, it definitely wasn't the strongest of these cinematic-type matches that AEW has done. Um, but it had the right result with Sammy getting the pinfall. I only wish Sammy had gotten the pinfall over someone meaningful, but it is what it is. Yeah. Who did he pin? Yawn Spears. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. That hot rivalry we've all been following nigh on these last several years. No? <laughs> he should have pinned MJF? Yeah. Uh, well, all right. 
I feel like I've heard I've been Sean Spears has been my mind more lately than than is necessary because I've been listening to the Iconics podcast. So he's like a household name nowadays when I'm my podcatcher. <laughs> say you're the t- you're the other one that's listening to that. Yep, me and Marcus. Yeah, I was gonna say just the two of you. <laughs> I imagine the two of you sitting together, sharing the earbuds, <laughs> and like nodding, like they say something, and like you guys look at each other, like, "Yep, yep, that's true." Yeah. Well, like I said, I said this last week. Once uh, he's done doing his helmet review podcast with Todd, we're gonna start the the, the rewatch podcast about the Iconics podcast. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, so my my last dislike, uh, you had teased it a little bit at the beginning of the show and said, oh, why couldn't we have done yesterday and do it this day in wrestling history, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so my last dislike has been the Chikara discourse that happened on Twitter this past Wednesday. It was the eighth anniversary of the big shutdown angle that led into... Chikara shutting down storyline for 11 months and the seven different wrestling is promotions popping up and then Chikara finally getting back together and so on and so forth. Now, what ended up happening with this coming up is it ended up in a lot of people saying, well, you know, after this, Chikara was never the same. And that's true. Chikara was never the same after this, right? And everyone talks mm-hmm. about the glory years of Chikara, and, you know, that was probably when you were first introduced to it or first started watching or whatever it was. And, you know, you go back and you watch some of those 2005 and 2006 and even 2007 shows, and there's less bright spots than you remember. It's just you happen to remember all those bright spots. And then you could say, oh, no. Oh, you know, 09 to 10, 11, and even into 12 and 13, that might have been the pinnacle, pun intended, for a lot of people. But I just felt really bad. Like, I had two feelings in regards to it, because there was a lot of good stuff that happened in Chikara. And even in the the Wrestling Is promotions during that break when Chikara, quote-unquote, was closed. Um... And I just feel bad that so many people's hard work over the last eight years, they probably felt invalidated that it meant nothing because so many people were just like, yeah, Chikara was dead after that. And Chikara wasn't the same year to year, right? And they had a strong uh, uh, 2014 into 15, and then 2016 was kind of like the beginning of the decline in a lot of people's eyes. But there was a lot of people who stopped watching Chikara after, like, 2009 and said that everything after 2009 stunk. So it just so happens that a lot of people's very vocal voices on that day really made a lot of people that I consider friends, you know, uh, feel that their work meant nothing for that time. And the other narrative, of course, and I got no problem saying this, you know what I mean? I said it on Twitter, and I'll try to be a little bit more clear in regards to this. Uh, is that the narrative that was out there and is still out there to this day um, is that Mike Quackenbush, the owner-operator of Chikara, hastily threw together this shutdown angle because he was going through a divorce with his wife and he was afraid that she was going to take all of the intellectual property and finances and everything else of Chikara. When you write that in a tweet, 
or you write that on a message board or you write that in a Reddit post, you could just write it and walk away. But when you speak those words aloud, how stupid does that sound to you? That <laughs> someone in the divorce proceedings are going to pursue the lucrative independent wrestling promotion that you run out of a warehouse in northern Philadelphia. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And there are hundreds of people that believe that to be fact. And it bums me out that it's not fact, that it's that there are people that still believe it, people that I know and people that I consider friends, and they still believe it. Because, like, enough people have said it, yeah. whether it's true or not, and that's just what the truth is, right? And I know Mike's ex-wife, and I know Mike's son, and they are very far removed from wrestling stuff, and they're very happy. And I think it was for the best. I think it had nothing to do with anything. It was something that I personally knew about the, the, the shutdown angle at least six months prior to it happening. I know there were people that knew about it a year before it happened. It was just a coincidence that these rumors came out around that time. And that then, because of this, because of that story being out there, because of the way that Mike handled himself, both privately and publicly and professionally, that has now caused so many more people to invalidate and lessen the accomplishments and otherwise of people who are not Mike. Yeah. And so much when people shit on Chikara, it's because they're shitting on Mike. I, I have people, like I said, that I consider friends that are vehemently against everything that Chikara stands for, but they'll be like, oh, I like Hollow Wicked, I like uh, Dasher, I like Jigsaw, I like Eddie Kingston, I like all these guys. And then even some of the newer guys that came out of Chikara, uh, your Travis Huckabees, your your Boomer Hatfields, your, you know, Green Ant, whatever iteration of Green Ant you want to talk about, uh, Edith Surreal, all of these people, these are all Chikara people. You like them, but then in the same breath, you say you don't like Chikara, but it's not that you don't like Chikara, you don't like Mike. And I understand that completely. You're not in the minority in that mindset. It's just... Yesterday was a rough day for a lot of people, and I felt bad for them, and I couldn't reach out to all of them. I did reach out to several of them, but this is my way, hopefully, of reaching out to them to let them know that your work is not invalidated. As long as Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium exists, your work will live on forever, and there's nothing that Mike or anyone else that has sullied what Chikara is or stood for or whatever to you or to your peers or otherwise that can be taken away from you. And that's it. Know that you guys, you guys may not have Chikara, but more importantly, you have each other and you have, you know, the people that you came into the business with the friends that you've made both in and out of wrestling. And there's nothing anyone can do to take that away from you, whether it be someone on Twitter or, you know, the person who pissed Chikara away. Hmm. Now, obviously, I was on Twitter yesterday. I was seeing a lot of the tweets and, you know, the not only the support, like you were mentioning, of just people that were there during the end days of Chikara, just kind of showing their support to their, you know, I don't want to say names of whose tweets I saw. But, you know, you see, like, people saying, like, you know, exactly what you said. That, you know, you made great friends. You put, don't let anybody shit on your work, all that stuff. And I was reading a lot, as you say, I should never do reading comments and, you know, uh, 
and just all these people, like you said, who be like, oh, Chikara, you know, I really miss Chikara. There hasn't been anything like that since. And people are like, I wonder whatever happened to Ultramantis Black, or I wonder whatever happened to Dasher Hatfield, just like as if when Chikara went away or when Chikara first shut down that, like, all of a sudden, like, indie wrestling stopped being a thing. And I do like the fact that so many people stepped up and were like, hey, you need to be watching you know, LVAC, you need to be watching Camp Leapfrog. You need to be watching all these other things that they, they threw out there as as ways to say, hey, if you liked the good things about Chikara, here's a lot of like spiritual successors. And I hopefully that like that's some of the other positives that came out of that discourse is that maybe some people got their eyes on some good stuff, you know? I certainly hope so. Yeah. That's it for likes and dislikes, I think, right? Yeah, we've rambled on here quite a bit <laughs> i try to make it nice nice and concise and keep it all down to one show joe and mm-hmm. you ruined it <laughs> well uh you know hey speaking of chikara i oh. almost changed i almost changed this right okay um just because i wanted to kind of light a fire i it's been a busy week um, trying to get caught up on some stuff. I may not have watched NXT this week yet. Hey, uh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> but I really want to sit down and watch the um, Day in the Life documentary thing that they did on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium about Edith Surreal, and I'm probably going to do that as soon as we're done recording this. Uh, but we've been pushing it and pushing it and teasing it and teasing it. The homework assignment for this week, and the link, of course, will be in the show notes, uh, is the May 20th, 2012 Chikara Anniversario show from New York, um, featuring such matches as Dasher Hatfield versus Colt Cabana, um, Mako Setamora taking on Sarah Del Rey, and for the Grand Championship, Eddie Kingston taking on Jigsaw. All right. Been putting it off as long as I can. I guess it's time I have to watch it. Right. Uh, again, it, al- it almost slipped one more time, but then I, if it slipped this week, it's slipping three weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I have to ask you, just so I can prepare myself, is Mixed Martial Archie anywhere on this card? No, he is not. Oh, all right. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> now you got to watch it. It's the assignment. All right. But I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going in with a, a negative opinion of the show to start. So you have to dig yourself, dig myself out of this hole. I have faith that this show will stand of its own merits and you will enjoy it thusly. All right. And better. And I, I want a full explanation slash apology as to why he's not on the show next week. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he had another booking somewhere else. I think he was All wrestling. Right. He was doing, he was doing stuff with ring of honor at the time. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Anniversario. What's it called? The, the Og and I, the Ugani, the Ogani. I don't know, man. I these, a lot of these Chikar show names are pretty dumb. It was the <laughs> May twentieth, two thousand twelve anniversario show. The links in the show notes. All right, I'll check it out. All right, see that quick, very quick uh, show homework segment. I like it. Next week, yeah. just as quick. <laughs> so we uh we have Dark Side of the Ring to discuss, uh, and we're gonna kind of piggyback it with. The A&E documentary from the week prior, both of which are about the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, and I think we had both. I don't know if you watched. Do you watch the A&E one when it aired? Or did you wait to kind of pile them together? No, I watched it when it aired. 
Okay, yeah, same here. So, like, I, I watched that. I watched the A&E one, like, I guess two weeks ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And he really came out of that smelling pretty good, didn't he? You know, he was, uh, this is the perspective of Dana Warrior, the kids, about how much of a loving father and husband he was. And he was just really searching for a dad figure. And that's all he wanted was a hug from Vince. And uh, sure, he had some issues. But, uh, you know, all around, just a good guy. Even when he was just a horrible, horrible racist and, like, bigot, he was he was just looking for a father figure with talk radio. And uh, they, they just did a really, really over-the-top attempt at uh, just making you really love, love old Jimmy Helwig. And uh, then, then Dark Side of the Ring came out, and they're like, no, 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 no. Well, we got a different perspective here. But uh, go ahead, Joe. <laughs> Okay, so I, I, I have to say I disagree with you on the A&E one, okay? Really? In that, I think they tried to do that, right? They tried to make you feel bad for the Ultimate Warrior and make him a sympathetic figure. That, you know, obviously he was missing a father figure in his life. Side note, um, one of the best parts of the A&E uh, documentary is when they talked to Vince. And they, uh, they're like, uh, so Vince, did you consider Warrior like a son? And uh, the corpse of Vince McMahon says, well, I uh, I definitely didn't consider him a family member, uh, <laughs> but I considered him very close. And I could feel Jim Helwig thousands of miles away rolling over in his casket. <laughs> and that even in his death, Vince couldn't even bring it to say, like, I cared for the Ultimate Warrior as a family member. The thing that he wanted the most, right? <laughs> um so, like I said, I think they definitely tried. Um, and like I talked about when we mentioned the Macho Man one versus the Roddy Piper one, where the A&E folks, and there was, listen, there was different people who did each of the documentaries, but they're all overseen by A&E, and they're all overseen in part by WWE. But the fact that Macho Man has no children, living or otherwise, they felt a little bit better going more in on him, right? Yeah. Whereas Ultimate Warrior has living children, so we're not, we're going to give you a little bit, right? We're going to say, like, hey, uh, he was going through some stuff, and he might have been difficult to deal with at times, and, you know, here's these things of all these different prescription medications that he was doing, but we're going to ignore the fact that the reason he got let go from WWE is because he was consistently on steroids, because that's the one thing that they do in these documentaries. When you worked for the World Wrestling Entertainment, you never did steroids, but the minute you went to another promotion, you immediately started doing steroids. That's the <laughs> weird, like, consistent thing through all of these A&E documentaries, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the dark side of the ring of them talking to Warrior's first wife, right? Yeah. That I think talking to her and their life and their relationship and their reconciliation... Mm-hmm made Warrior more sympathetic than what A&E was trying to falsify sympathy for the Ultimate Warrior because she, I feel, the ex-wife, came off as a more real person than Dana Warrior did. No, I agree with that. You know, I, I agree that that because the first, his first wife, and I apologize, I don't know her name, like, She's barely mentioned in the A and E one. Uh, and even when they talk about uh, Warrior getting 
I'm sorry, Warrior's getting like the big push, but like he's having all those problems at home with his first wife. That's all they say is he's going through a divorce, but they don't really go into it. And then on the dark side of the ring, they really deep dive into like their relationship from the beginning and just how like he became a serial cheater. And like you said, how they, they reconciled at the end. So yes, that kind of humanized them in the fact that they, they expounded upon that more, but I, I feel like the dark side of the ring really turned the knife more because they're like really focusing on the fact that he just couldn't wrestle and he didn't want to learn. And he was big timing everybody. and He was unsafe in the ring. So like all those things, I feel like the A and E one didn't really talk about. They mentioned, Oh, it's a big guy who wasn't the best in the ring, but they didn't flat out call him unsafe. You know, like I, I feel like it was more of a hit job and justifiably. So on the dark side of the ring one. Yeah. So I, I, that was the one part of the dark side of the ring one that I didn't care about. Like, I don't care if he was a good worker or not. Listen, at the end, and again, I hate saying, I, I got to take that out of my vocabulary. I got to put a sticky note so I stop saying it. But, like, <laughs> Roddy Piper wasn't a good worker. Like, mechanically in the ring, he kind of stunk. But he had a way of connecting with the crowd. So did the Ultimate Warrior. He kind of stunk mechanically in the ring. But when that music hit and he ran out to the ring, if you were 8 to 12 years old and you saw that, that was the coolest goddamn wrestler you saw in your life. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's really what matters. You know, and like Jim Cornette could bury him and JR could bury him and all these other people could bear, bury him of how terrible he was in the ring. And I absolutely agree with you. Irrelevant regarding his story and his life history and everything else like that, right? Mm. You could talk about him being disrespectful to people. You could talk about him holding people up for money. You could talk about him being difficult to negotiate with, like with all the distrusity stuff and the comic book stuff and all that sort of stuff. Um... But, like, when we're doing a documentary on a fiction, like, on a worked sports life, and a, a chunk of it is how good he was at doing the fake part of his job, I don't care. Yeah. I do have a question. Maybe you can kind of shed some light on this. One of the, the big focuses of the Dark Side of the Ring one was Jake Roberts and, like, him losing out on his, like, big money run. And I, I, I kind of something I just wasn't clear about. I, I thought it was implied at one point during the documentary that it was going to be Jake Roberts getting a run for the world title. Uh huh. But then they were saying that, oh, this was the program that was going to come right out of SummerSlam, where like Hogan and Warrior are teaming against, you know, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Mustafa, and Adnan. But I was like, Hogan was the champ then, wasn't he? Like, how. How does Warrior getting fired when he comes back to the gorilla position take Jake Roberts out of a world title run against the Ultimate Warrior if the Ultimate Warrior wasn't the champ? Uh, uh, that's what's got me kind of twisted. So it was supposed to be Jake Roberts and Warrior, obviously, but not for the title. But I think for the entertainment portion of the documentary, they had to say that it was for the title, right? Okay. And so I, creative I forget who said this. Um, but it was like, of course, and they're like, you got to go talk to Warrior to see if this is okay. So this would have been Jake's biggest run with the company, but no offense to Jake at that time, it probably would have been like the lowest run for Ultimate Warrior at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like, that's a step up for Jake and that would have been a step down for Warrior in his position and his ability to get over and everything else like that. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I think they just kind of end. Listen, I'm glad Jake has gotten himself clean. I'm glad he has a job with AEW. I'm glad he's very respected by his peers and everything else like that. But this is the same Jake the Snake Roberts who blames the guitar shot from the Honky Tonk Man in 1987, which we don't know even for sure if it was a gimmicked or non-gimmicked guitar, but he blames that guitar shot for the reason that he smoked crack for 20 years. <laughs> so, Help. again, I don't... So Jake is not a reliable narrator on his own life story. Yeah. <laughs> All right, just making sure I wasn't missing something there, you know? Yeah. And, and this is one of those things, like, Warrior, in the short time that he was in professional wrestling, and I, I, like I said, you can count the time that he's in Memphis, and the time that he's in UWF, and you can count the time that he's in World Class, but let's say major big league wrestling, okay? He's in from 87 to 91. He has that little run from April to November of 1992. He's got, like, a five-month run in 1996, and then he's got a three-month run in WCW, which they don't even mention at all in either one of the documentaries, right? Yeah, I was surprised that I neither one of them mentioned that. Right. So you're talking about a guy who, in his best accounting, has a total of six years of national televised wrestling prom like experience. And he is not only one of the most recognizable characters in all of professional wrestling forever— but he also has the most crazy stories about him in that short amount of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> and my only thing, and this is a failing of both documentaries, and, okay, so let's say if I had to pick one that was better than the other, I'm going with the A&E one. Okay, why is that? Because the A&E one had all those, like, archival things of, like, Warrior cutting that apology promo for yelling at the kid in the airport. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really been talked about. But, like, here it is, like, him doing it and him being pissed off about it. And Vince just saying, like, oh, it's just a work. It's just a work. Don't worry about it, brother, you know? <laughs> and then them filming the stuff for the WrestleMania album where Warrior is, like, he is very clearly conked out of his mind during <laughs> that, right? He is in... Like, he cuts his promos where he's in outer space. He was in legitimate outer space during the filming of those. So seeing that sort of B-roll footage and stuff. Yeah. And I don't, listen, I don't even want to get into the political stuff, the homophobia stuff. That has ruined his legacy. Um, and I can kind of sort of separate it and still enjoy that six-year run. Well, how much of the six-year run? Let's say four and a half years of the six-year run that I can enjoy. And not the rest of his life where he was, like, a giant piece of shit and an unlikable person and deserved to die. Um, but two things missing from both documentaries, okay? Yeah. One, it does not matter who you are, does not matter what level of fan you are or were. For the better part of the last 31 years, one of the biggest rumors, one of the biggest urban legends in all of professional wrestling was that there were two Ultimate Warriors. I remember being 13 years old in school and kids talking about that in the playground in 1990. Oh, they yeah. were not Observer subscribers. There was no internet. They did not have anyone who worked for World Wrestling Entertainment at the time. But it was a schoolyard rumor as far back as 1990 that there were two Ultimate Warriors, right? Uh-huh. 
neither documentary even touches on that. Like, well, I don't remember which one it was, but one of them has said when he returned for that WrestleMania eight run in, he was noticeably smaller. Right. Said because of the, uh, you know, they didn't say, oh, this is what led to the rumors of there being two Ultimate Warriors, but they did say that here's a guy running out that, that's noticeably smaller because he's cycled off, you know. So I think it was implied, but yeah, it would have been nice for them to just have one of the talking heads say that it was so noticeable that caused an urban legend that, you know, went around the country, you know. Yeah, like, like bring it up. Like, let's talk about it, right? <laughs> and then the other thing was with all the talking heads and all the people that were interviewed, all the everythings. There was one person they didn't get, and it's the one person that I wanted to hear from the most when it comes to the Ultimate Warrior. Uh-oh. And that's Amanda Ultimate Warrior. Do you remember Amanda Ultimate Warrior, Adam? I have no clue what you're talking about. So after the Ultimate Warrior won the World Wrestling Entertainment title, if you recall, they started to try to soften his image a little bit. He wouldn't wear, like, the full face paint. He would just have, like, the logo on his cheek. Sure. And they had tried to make him a little bit more like he wouldn't give like the big crazy yelling promos all the time. He was a little bit more subdued, kind of like what they would do five years later to Diesel, where Diesel, uh, Kevin Nash gets over by being like this cool, badass character. And then they give him the title and then they immediately start to soften him a bit. It's the World Wrestling Entertainment way, right? Yeah. Um, so on an episode of the uh, on, on an episode of the Brother Love Show, um, Ultimate, he brings out the Ultimate Warrior, and Ultimate Warrior tells Brother Love that he knows nothing about love, and he's going to show Brother Love what real love is all about. And he brings out a little girl who must be five years old, who's dressed up in full Ultimate Warrior regalia, including face paint, and do and with her love for the power of the Ultimate Warrior, she does cartwheels on the Brother Love set. <laughs> When Ultimate Warrior asks her what her name is, she says her name is Amanda Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> I've never heard of this. Oh, my goodness. Go. I think if YouTube is the site that I think it is, if you just type Amanda Ultimate Warrior into it, it should be the only thing that comes up. <laughs> I hope so. All right. I'm putting it in my notes here. I'll look at it after the show. Yeah, that sounds ridiculous. Put in Amanda Ultimate Warrior. It's the first thing. It doesn't say. Um, it just like the description is Ultimate Warrior appears in the Brother Love Show with one of his little warriors. But that <laughs> is Amanda Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's a shame that that hit the cutting room floor. Maybe if there's like a dark side of the ring, you know, like in between seasons, they do those expanded episodes. Maybe that'll be on that. Yes. And I just want to point out, you know, shout out to uh, We Need Wrestling for pointing this out to me all the time. On the A&E documentary, they made it a point to show that before Warrior died, he made his peace with Hulk Hogan. Because <laughs> you know, Hogan had, doesn't have heat with anybody before they die. You know, they always apologize. Right. So that's the only bummer is that one gets caught on tape. <laughs> if only there was a camera in that doctor's office. <laughs> Where him and Macho Man buried the hatchet. They were going to go out for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Hogan said, let my son Nick check out your car first, dude, brother. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Oh, all right. Anything else on that? No, I think we've, we've talked all we can about the Ultimate Warrior in the documentary. So this week's, as we're recording this, 
is the Grizzly Smith one. And uh, I know you're not aware of Grizzly Smith, and I gave you the, the heads up that his wrestling children are Jake the Snake Roberts, Rock and Robin, former World Wrestling Entertainment Women's Champion from the 90s, early 90s. She sang America the Beautiful at WrestleMania 5, poorly, yeah. but she still sang it, and Sam Houston. And uh, Grizzly Smith has a very notorious reputation uh, in the world of professional wrestling. And apparently this, like, digs even deeper than anyone could ever imagine. I haven't watched it yet. I'm just seeing some of the reactions trickle in on Twitter as we're recording the show. And uh, it puts the dark and dark side of the ring this week. So um, trigger warning for child abuse, um, pedophilia, all that sort of thing. If these are things that, and listen, if you can't deal with this sort of stuff, that's, Completely understandable. These are rough topics to deal with, uh, but that's what this episode of Dark Side of the Ring deals with, and I do think they put a warning up at the beginning of the episode as well. So, Okay. I'll check that out. Like I said, this is one of them going into knowing very little, just knowing the, the bullet points. So yeah, take, take notes, pal. <laughs> I will. Uh, so, uh, hey, plugs, uh, Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, we mentioned it a bunch of times here, of course, um, you know, our homework for this week is from there, uh, they have a bunch of stuff that's premiering this week, uh, Crimson Crown and Deathmatch Down Under are having two sets of shows debuting on, uh, Friday and Saturday, there's a Camp Leapfrog show on Sunday, Head over to Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, a.k.a. independentwrestling.tv. Use the code at odds. I don't think it gives you five days free if you're a new subscriber, but you, if you are a new subscriber, still use the code. Let Jerry know that we're sending you his way to watch the independent wrestling goodness. And I think they also just put up like a whole bunch of like old Jersey All-Pro shows from cool. like the mid-2000s, like... 2001 2002 2003 today which is like some of those jersey all pro shows are like real wacky and i mean that like in the best possible way there's a lot of like uh folks names that you recognize that are still kicking today you know um uh. i'm trying to see if i could find a random card here uh there's a beyond show going on right now so the feed is kind of clogged on jerry's internet wrestling emporium hit the other plugs and i'll uh i'll find a jersey all pro show that went up today yeah yeah so while joe's doing that i'll just mention there are some other podcasts you should definitely listen to many of which we have already plugged during the show final wrestling place long box heroes we need wrestling porch talk wrestling cheers Pod Van Dam, hashtag get Ed Cody or get Ed from Pod Van Dam on Between the Sheets to talk about Dude Love on July. I don't know. Look up the hashtag. But uh, Between the Sheets, the House Show podcast, Viewer's Choice, Not Another Sports Podcast, The A Show, and Where the Hell is the Majorland podcast on Google Podcasts? It's still not out there, goddammit, Joe. I've been looking every day several times. It's still not available. Did you find the account? No, there isn't one. Like it doesn't. No, there, there, there's a separate Twitter account for Majorland. No, no, no. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I follow the. Of course, I follow the Twitter for Majorland, and it's it, they give many links to the, uh, the Apple Podcast as well as the Spotify. And there are people 
like-minded individuals such as myself that are saying, hey, can't find it on Google, uh, and uh, to no avail. So we are like two days into it. I am already behind this worldwide phenomenon that is the Majorland podcast. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yes, that is, uh, that's my podcast rant there, but because it's not out yet. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna download it on my iPad like a savage. I want it on my my phone, like a homeless person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I, a hobo? Gonna use an RSS feed next? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So here's a random Jersey All Pro show that went up live today on the uh, old Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium. Uh, it's an event entitled Halloween Hell. Uh, let's see here. Uh, from October of 2004, uh, we have El Generico versus Beef Wellington versus Excess 69 versus Sexy Eddie. Um, we have Kevin Steen versus Roderick Strong. We have CM Punk versus Low Key. We have Jay Lethal versus Sanjay Dutt. We have Dan Moff versus Trent Acid. We have B-Boy and Homicide versus Jack Evans and the world's most redacted man. <laughs> and we have Samoan Joe versus Super Dragon. Oh. <laughs> so, wasn't... yeah, that's 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 just one of the random shows that they put up today. And wasn't Halloween Hell a turmoil pay-per-view? I think so. <laughs> All right, just a second. But yeah, no, that sounds cool. Oh, here's a match. Here's a match for people to watch, I guess. I don't know if you hate yourself. This is from the Jersey All-Pro Base Brawl 2 event uh, from June of 2004. Uh, you got Danny Doring versus Pinky Sanchez, sure. Uh, you've got Steve Carino versus Slick Wagner Brown. You have Loki and Trent Acid, a very strange team there, taking on Sanjay Dutt and Teddy Hart. Uh, and then you have the team of Hip Hop Overflow of Rush Majera and Corvus Fear, taking on the tag team of the Rockin' Rebel and Skinhead Ivan. Oh, oh yeah. Those yeah. were names of professional wrestlers 15 years ago, Adam. Or <laughs> 6 to 17 years ago, or whatever the hell it is. Oh, it was a different time. It was a different yeah. time. <laughs> How can Rockin' Rebel team up with a guy named Skinhead <laughs> Ivan and somehow be the more racist one on the, sh on the, on the team? <laughs> Ah, oh, all right. Well, despite that ringing endorsement, yeah, check out those Jersey shows. Um, yeah, so I got those. Um, was there anything else? No, I think it's just uh, what weekly purchases, huh? Yeah, yeah, weekly purchases. Now, all Joe, right. so if you don't care, you know. Thank you for listening, to episode one forty one. Adults with wrestling. Uh, light week, Adam. Yeah, I had promised that uh, we are in the era of financial responsibility and that uh, I would go on a spending freeze to until Toy Hio came along. But uh, I did buy one thing, and it was not a toy, Joe. So I don't know if you want me to go first or if you want to go first, or but that was my tease. Uh, yeah, you go first. All right, so you know how... You may have something saved in your eBay watch list for a long, long time, and not because it's rare or very hard to find, but just because you want it, but you never really want to pull the trigger on it. So every time one pops up, you're like, oh, okay, there's one, but I'm not going to buy it. 
uh, there's one. Oh, it's too expensive. You ever have that where you're just kind of constantly watching an item, but you never buy it? Yeah. All right. So there is a comic book that uh, I already have. I have multiple copies, full disclosure. But you know me, Joe. You don't own a comic. You don't truly own a comic book until you own a CGC 9.8 of it, as I'm sure you will agree. <laughs> I think at that point, the 9.8 owns you. <laughs> So there is a, a comic, like I said, I have multiples of, but I wanted a CGC 9.8. And that is the Quantum and Woody Retailer Preview Edition that predated the first issue of Quantum and Woody back in, I believe, 1997. The black and white thing that they basically sent to the store. It's just a couple pages of the first issue, you know, not colored, probably doesn't have word balloons in it, whatever. But as you know, this is the first appearance, Joe, because it came before the first issue, first appearance of Quantum Woody. But uh, anyways, this is something that I wanted for a long time. I buy CGCs of, of books that are important to me. I love Quantum Woody. And this is something that briskly, or not briskly, but I'll just say it's constantly listed on eBay for between, I don't know, two to 300 bucks and i was like i'm not spending that like i have raw copies i am not going to spend two three hundred dollars on one but uh anyway somebody listed one and with like a starting bid of like twenty dollars the other day and it was just me and one other guy bidding on it and i got it for like 60 bucks plus shipping so it was for that price i was like i gotta get this this is something i've been putting off for years i can finally delete that save search out of my uh my eBay thing after years, and uh, I can move on to other CGC goals uh, for my collection. Uh, not a CGC guy, uh, but that's one I can't disagree with. That sounds like a worthy purchase. Yeah, see, I, I think I, I teased it to you, I think, off the air that you're going to both love and hate this purchase because I know that you are also a fan of the Quantum and the Woody. But... Yeah, yeah. But I know that uh, CGC is not something. The the plastic cloud, oh, was it plastic coffins or whatever that you and your co-host disparage it by saying? And right, I think he. Uh, what is he? He says uh, he. Right, yeah, we're we're big CGC detractors. But uh, if you have like an entire C, if you're speculating on stuff, I guess that's a bad thing. Um, but if you're getting it because it's a key book uh, for you personally, then I think that's okay. Yeah, I am not a comic book flipper. I, I'm a damn dirty flipper with many, many things. But when it comes to comics, I just basically rebuy comics that were important to me when I was like really into comics. So from like the death of Superman, Nightfall into like, you know, I guess the early 2000s. You know, so if a book was big to me and I just shot you a text of this book, by the way, um, but yeah, so Quantum Woody, one of my favorite all times. I have their first like first issue in uh, 9.8 and some like rare variants and stuff like that. So it's just something I want. I'll I'll never sell it, but I needed it. Ooh, and I do know um, those covers like that that have a ton of white on them or a ton of black on them. Mm. Um, those are tough to get a good grade on. Yeah. Yeah, the population, I, I want to say there's only like maybe 20 of these in a 9.8 right now. So that's why I, that's why it's been expensive up until now. I think that now that people have realized that there will not be a TV show, you know, there was that like one year 
span where they were like, oh, Joel McHale is going to be uh, Woody on the Quantum and Woody TV show. You know, <laughs> once those rumors died out, the book started coming back down to earth. Uh, I'm still holding out hope. I got faith, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So what'd you buy, Joe? Okay, so what I bought uh, was, now this is something that I actually bought a little while ago, uh, but it ends up coming in here uh, just because I gifted it this week, right? Okay. Uh, when I listen to the, or when uh, when Todd and I do our um, our Patreon show, right? Mm-hmm. I uh, I listen and Todd mentions a bunch of stuff that maybe he wants or wanted or something of that nature, right? Yeah, I'm and I just take past. note of it. Sure. Um, and I I and one of the things that he had mentioned was something that I said an eBay alert for, and then it came up maybe about a month or so ago, and I couldn't talk about it on the show. I maybe teased it on the show. Um. But it was a Dave McKean painted uh, poster of Black Orchid, Swamp Thing, and Batman. Okay. And when we talked about it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, you can kind of get a poster, but this guy was like, it was an unopened poster. He had very clear proof that it was an unopened, untampered with poster, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a rare item, so it was, you know, a couple bucks. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I'm sure Adam may have gone through recently with a lot of the stuff that he I think you did everything as auctions with your recent sales. Right. The most recent batch. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they put something up, they'll put the price or they'll say make offer. Right. Yeah. So he puts his thing up. He puts the thing up. And I make an offer of like five dollars less than what he puts it up for. Right. Yeah. And he declines my offer. So then I'm still watching it. Doesn't sell. Another week goes by, doesn't sell. Another week goes by, it comes back up. It's now the $5 less price that I had offered him two weeks prior. Yeah. But it's now that price or make offer. So I make him an offer of a dollar less. And then I got it. Because if you yeah, have make offer in your eBay thing, I'm going to make you an offer. And if I make you an offer and you say no, and then you put it back up at the thing that I offered you and you said no, obviously I can get it for less. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that a lot of times where it's like, buddy, this is your tax that I'm charging you for not helping me out yep. like two two times ago. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've often found that when people do an auction with a best offer – I, I think that nine times out of 10 that they expect you to send them a best offer that's higher than the auction price with the assumption being that like, hey, you're starting this at, let's just say $10 starting bid, but I'm going to send you a best offer of 20. Let's just end it now. You know, like a lot of them don't have it programmed in their head that they're willing to take less than their starting bid. You know, yeah, but- I usually have like a whole form letter that I send to people. <laughs> I say, hey, you may not know me, but my name is Matt Cardona, former <laughs> wrestling entertainment superstar and future WWE Hall of Famer, Zack Ryder. <laughs> and that works out for you, huh? <laughs> eh, usually not. Usually they block me and they don't allow me to bid on their stuff anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, that's that's cool. Yeah, I heard that you had said on, I believe, After Dark this week that you had gotten Todd something. So uh, good to see what it was and that you got a good price on it. 
Yeah, and he doesn't listen to this show, so he'll never know what it is. Exactly. Or I already gave it to him and he already opened it. Oh, that too. <laughs> and uh, Todd doesn't like it when people wish him a happy birthday. So uh, for those of you listening to this, definitely don't wish Todd a happy birthday this week. Yeah, so listen, I'm not a birthday guy myself, you know, because um, yeah. I'm a grown man. <laughs> like, I think once you're a man and you're over, I'll give you to 30. Uh-huh. It used to be 21. I'll give you to 30. Um, you know, and like, I, I have friends of mine that are like, going to be hitting 50 soon. And they talk about they're getting ready for their birthday week. <laughs> and I just have to raise an eyebrow and I'm like, in my, so in my mind, when I'm like, oh, hey, it's my birthday today. I'm no better than the guy who's like, well, I'm going to go out for my 48th birthday week this, you know, uh, or it's my <laughs> birthday month. And I'm like, no. No, uh, but I relented this past week because my wife put something up on Facebook and then I kind of, you know, perpetuated a little bit on Twitter with the birthday wishes. But uh, yeah, I'm not really much of a birthday guy. You know, I I, I mowed my lawn and took a nap on my birthday. (laughs) Yeah. And what a coincidence that both you and Todd have birthdays so close to each other. I have. I I don't know if we've mentioned this publicly on uh, the show. Okay. Uh huh. Um, I know Todd and I have mentioned it on Longbox Heroes and Longbox Heroes After Dark and so on and so forth, right? So Todd and I's birthday are exactly one week apart. Yeah. Okay? I'm May 31st. He's June 7th. Exactly one week apart. Uh, do you know who I share a birthday with? What celebrity Sydney. I share a birthday with? Um, former Hall of, WWE Hall of Famer Sidney Bacabella. Besides, he, he moved my birthday to the 22nd of May. Oh, <laughs> not him. What no. act, and again, there's not a knock on Sidney Bacabella, but what <laughs> actual internationally known worldwide celebrity do I share? Do I share a birthday with? I feel like I saw something about this on Twitter, but I forget right now. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Who loves Clint Eastwood more than anything in the world? That would be Todd Roker. OK, Todd's birthday is June 7th. What internationally world famous professional wrestler does Todd share a birthday with? Is it Terry Funk? Mick Foley. Mick Foley, close enough. (laughs) So we joke around all the time that we're going to swap birthdays (laughs) so that he could have his birthday with Clint Eastwood and I could have my birthday with Mick Foley, but I have a twin brother. I don't know if I can negotiate him moving his birthday to June 7th as well because I'm tight. I'm kind of tied to another human being with my birthday. Eh, I mean, there's got to be a form you can fill out. I mean, you can legally change your name to Warrior. Why can't you change your birthday a week? You know? It's not like you're trying to get it so that you can, like, buy booze early or get a scratcher. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to share my birthday with a professional wrestler I like. That's normal, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's got there's got to be somebody at the DMV that can help you with that, you know? <laughs> Well, again, I've previously done such a good job at concealing the date of my birth that I could have just lied and said, oh, today's my birthday, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Joke's on you. You could have just, you you put it, you spoke it into a microphone, as you like to say. Now that that dream is ruined. I worked myself into a shoot. Brother HH, yep. (laughs) All right. So uh, I think that's enough show for this week, right? Yeah, almost too much show. I agree. 
Uh, so, hey, everyone, thank you very much for listening to episode 141 of At Odds with Wrestling. For Adam, this is Joe saying thank you very much for listening. Be safe out there. Get that vaccine and enjoy some wrestling. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.